This episode of the Vergecast is brought to you by IBM. 16 million new-collar jobs will be created by 2024, and to help fill them, IBM's new education model gives high school students workplace experience and an associate's degree. 90 P-Tech schools are already preparing graduates for tomorrow's STEM careers. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash p-tech. Hello, and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship I'm just gonna greetings, mobile accomplishers. I'm just biting <laughs> Dieter from the jump. <laughs> greetings, mobile accomplishers. So this is no, no, special. No, just do it. Do it right. Do it right. Do it right. Will you do it? Greetings, mobile accomplishers. Welcome to the Verge Cast, the flagship podcast of the Verge Empire. I am your host, Dieter Bone. This is the 300th episode. I'm taking over the show because I'm way <laughs> better at intros than Neli. It's true. Can I say my catchphrase now? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> This is our 300 episode. uh, I'm here. I'm Neelai. Paul's here. Hello. Dieter's here. This is somehow good catchphrase. In classic Vergecast fashion, we we started planning for this 20 minutes ago. Andrew tried to get us to start planning for this like three months ago. Andrew Marino, our um, long-suffering producer. But uh, no, we we said no. We only want to start five minutes before the show. And so that's what we did. So a couple couple of weeks ago, my, my... Good friend and colleague Heim Gartenberg yeah. pulled me aside. He said, Did you know episode 300 is a lie? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> he pulled up a spreadsheet <laughs> yeah, at true. some point <laughs> what? when he was an intern. He was tasked with listing every single Vergecast. And it turns out there have been two historical skipped Vergecasts. Yeah. 69 Wait. is one. And it's like 117 we- is the other, something yeah. like that. I don't think that we, we actually just, skipped them. It? I think we've lost them. Did we lose them or like misnumber them? I, no. I, the, who knows? This is not if, – if you tuned in looking for technology news, we're going to get to it. But first, <laughs> yeah. we're going to talk about how podcast RSS feeds work. <laughs> <laughs> and a little bit about counting. <laughs> a little bit about – no, there was a whole I – think, I think they're lost to history. If you've got – if you have a Virtual 16 on your phone, send it to us because <laughs> we don't have it. Uh, but yeah, this is 300. It's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to celebrate, we thought that we would do the funniest thing that any person can do, which is explain our own jokes. <laughs> uh, so th- this is true. This is a fact. This is a service. It's a service. We're, this is service journalism. Uh, but Paul and I mm-hmm. have been doing basically this podcast for almost a decade now. Because we were doing the Engadget podcast before, mm-hmm. Dieter had his own podcast when he was at Smartphone Experts. What, what was, what was uh, it which, called? Which started? I just I'm going to point out in 2001. That was the, what, the, the trio professional season. show. Oh, one. The podcast the trio trio. central trio cast. The trio cast, which had the best stock music ever. It was called Hot Sax on a Platter. It's really <laughs> good. Was it? Was it just called Internet Radio back then? Yeah, yeah, yeah their podcast. It was a thing. Anyway. So that it just means that we've been doing this. We've been doing the Vergecast for six years, six and change. It started as this is my next pot. Like that, we've just accumulated ten years of inside jokes, right? And we never explain them or tell people why we're laughing. So the audience has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and people are just hopelessly confused, yeah, all of the time. And they tweeted us. And we do nothing. <laughs> we refuse to acknowledge that the Vergecast is an impenetrable. We do chuckle silently to ourselves. Yeah. But yeah. for this, our 300 episode, we thought it would be good if we just explain some of the things. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the first one we're going to explain. At the end of the show, 
we often say snip snip. Yes. And Vergecast fans know that our official beverage is Scissor Vodka, which is not <laughs> real. Right. The tagline of Scissor Vodka is cut through the night. And yeah. it's funny after that to say snip snip. Yeah. So it, that's the whole it's joke. Like a, it's like fully work for the tagline of a made up <laughs> beverage. Which is so funny. And if, if you don't if you don't know, um scissor vodka will never exist because the uh the trademark for applying the word scissor to an alcoholic beverage belongs to who is it, Neli? Francis Ford Coppola. Uh, but the trademark's in Spanish. So <laughs> it's very confusing. But we have some so this all came about because of the song like a G6. Mm, because right. LG was putting out the G6. Yes. This uh, got so out of hand. Well, let's run. We have a clip, right, Andrew? Let's run the clip. There's a lyric in there that she's like, I'm drinking scissor. But for years, my friends and I totally misheard it. And we thought she said she was drinking scissor, which is, in my opinion, if you're listening to the show and you maybe have too much money, you don't know how to spend it, you want to make an investment. I have a complete business plan for a vodka <laughs> brand called Scissor Vodka. Does it involve the song? It doesn't involve the song. Although I think having a famous song in which people appear to be saying drinking scissor in the club is a good look. I just want to do a, an entire print billboard campaign, physical media campaign of like hot people. And they just, they're looking at you with their fingers like this. And it just says cut through the night. This is a radio show. People are in the car. What are your fingers doing? They're you making can't tell it. scissors, man. <laughs> what do you think they're doing? I'm just giving it back to you. Cause you're always, if you're in the car right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look you at the car next to you. a very sly scissor sign. It's sort of a peace sign. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, a little thing, sign. right? It's a piece. Look at the person in the car next to you. No, you're alone. Put this your, is not why are safe. you alone? You're on the road. Because you're commuting places. People always drive their cars alone. No, but in the car, the other cars around okay. you, a slight scissor shape, and then just mouth the words, cut through the night. And that, oh, people are going to do that. Cut through the night is good. <laughs> For scissor vodka. I would. So, I'm, again, I'm speaking directly to your heart now. This is a beautiful If ad. you have more money than sense... And you would like to make this happen for me. I mean, that's just the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. I have a second one for a trampoline vodka, which is just the word bounce. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, it's endless TV ads of people leaving clubs. Cut through the night is great. Cut through the night is great. Bounce is awful. Cut through the night is awful. Cut through the night is great. No, cut through the night is fantastic. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And there's already a song that everybody's. I already want to cut through You're the night. You're drinking a scissor in the club. Now yeah. I'm feeling so fly. I did not remember bounce. <laughs> <laughs> I did not remember how desperately I was trying to keep that from going off the rails. <laughs> like just how much I like that at this point in the show we've just given it. Okay, so that's that's Scissor Vodka. That's where it came from. Mm-hmm. It's going to be in our heart forever. Okay, at the end of the show, Paul. Yes. We just everyone says your name. We did the show live, and at the end of the show, the whole crowd just chanted your name. We that can't, was a really special moment for but, me. Do you want to explain why this has started happening? Yeah. A, Apparently, I can't remember even if it was Engadget or The Verge or this is my next, but at some point, I admitted that I have a hard time saying my name, pronouncing my name. And your name is Paul. It's Paul, <laughs> which is not hard to say. I A lot of times I kind of swallow the L. Anyways, there's a problem saying my name. And so uh, it was uh, Josh, Neli, and I at that time, and we just all tried to say my name a bunch of times. Yeah. And then it was funny to say it at the end of the show. This is before there were professional podcasts we had to compete with. We're like, good radio. It's five minutes of us saying Paul over and over. This is pre-serial content. (laughs) It was before serial. We didn't know what we were doing. 
We were like, we're not going to solve this I, murder. We're going to say honest, Paul's name. Recently, because it's so far removed from the context and like, why would anybody find it funny? I've thought about retiring Paul as a, as a catchphrase. Well, now we just re-upped it. Yeah, no, five years of Paul. I coming. guess we re-upped it. So anyways, you, maybe I'll, do, I'll run a Twitter poll. Um, I've been thinking a lot about it. I think having your own name is your catchphrase. <laughs> it's really strong. <laughs> it's pretty strong. It's pretty it's strong. It's kind of incredible. Okay, we also say promo code at the end of the show. Mm-hmm. This is, I don't know why we're not, we should explain that one because that's just a good deal. Yeah. The promo code for the Verge merch store is promo code. Just go there and type it in. You get like some percentage of things off, of money, some percentage of money off. While also sort of commenting on modern podcast media. Yeah, the promo code is uh, promo code. Yeah. All right. Dieter, do you want to explain Greetings Mobile Accomplishers, the way that you began the show? Oh, it, it's, uh, it comes from the launch of the Palm Trio 680, which was the uh, Palm OS device designed for uh, consumers. It was the thing that came out right around the time of the iPhone, so it was like, all right, so the iPhone, now we've got the Trio 680, and its big innovation is that it came in four different colors, and they got rid of the uh, external antenna nubbin. Mm. And uh, Palm's uh, market demographic for this, they accidentally like told all of us, was um, mobile accomplishers. And I thought that was the funniest thing on planet Earth. Uh, uh, then CEO Ed Colligan uh wanted us all to know what a mobile accomplisher was. They're like a professional, but they're really mobile. They're not really just a, it's not just for professionals though. That's like the wrong word because it's, it was Palm OS and so it was bad. So it's not so much people that work. It's people that accomplish things. Is there a modern day term for this? Every company does this. I think what we have learned. Yeah, no, it's a really standard thing. They just told it to the wrong audience. It was like an internal marketing deck and it turned into a like, actual thing that he thought was appropriate to say while standing on stage announcing a phone. Microsoft used to do this all the time. Remember the Kin? When the Kin came out, they showed us like their target audience and they had like invented hip kids. Yeah. And like this hip kid. <laughs> hadn't existed use this garbage kid. Cool kids that never get bullied. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Microsoft got really mad at me because I took all the Kin ads and I like remixed them to Dead Kennedy songs. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't like. They that. should have loved that. They sent me an email. They're like, "Please, please take these down." I think they're still they're up somewhere. <laughs> all right, this one's easy. Bixby the dog. Bixby you know, the dog. We mentioned Bixby all the time, and we suggested it's a dog. Mm-hmm. I don't think we ever explained why we keep saying that. But it's because well, I mean, we ha- did the first time, <laughs> right? And then have failed to say it ever. Bixby is a dog yeah. with shoes. Bixby. Every time I hear the word Bixby, I think of a dog wearing shoes. It's just like a like a word association thing. I can't not think of it. And now it is my quest. Like I say, Bixby, you say, uh, dog with shoes. Yeah. And people on Circuit Breaker Live, they sent us fan art of dogs wearing shoes, which was great. Uh, And my my goal is to have it be so common that, you know, when Samsung puts out its next phone, the Bixby logo is actually a cartoon dog wearing shoes. It should be all in. Isn't it a dog butler with shoes? Well, It's a butler dog. Yeah, that's like the classic dog butler trope. But I think yeah. just like an anthropomorphic dog wearing shoes, that could be a butler. It's like a casual butler. You don't, you, you know, it's not like Mr. Belvedere. He's a butler, but it doesn't define him. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a butler in a polo shirt. All right. Speak, by the way, Dieter, speaking of uh, Trio, this is true. We did yeah. hire you because of your WebOS expertise at a time when that seemed... I'd like to think you hired me because I ran a, a, a multi-site network of smartphone communities that had more traffic than Engadget at the time. That's true. 
That's what you thought. <laughs> That's what I thought. It well, turned out, no, no, you hired me for WebOS. Well, if you've listened to the show a lot, you know that we, uh, we often bemoan the death of the web and the death of open technologies. Dieter brings up Palm every five minutes. He can't help it. But there was, I, we have a clip here of just how deep in the game Dieter was. This is what, from when Palm was dying. Yeah, this is from August 2011 when they when they killed, like two months after they had just announced the Pre-3 and the touchpad and the Veer, mm-hmm. uh, then CEO Leo Apotekar uh, like blew up WebOS and canceled everything. And then they sold all the touchpads for 100 bucks. It was a whole thing. All right, let's, let's listen to... Here's another yeah. yes or no question. We ostensibly brought on Dieter because of his WebOS expertise, and now that WebOS is irrelevant, is Dieter irrelevant? <laughs> A year from now, is Dieter alive? <laughs> is he... Dieter, I have some unfortunate news. Yeah, I saw this coming. We're going, we're going to have to license you. <laughs> Do you think HTC could make use of Dieter? <laughs> I think Dieter, I think the thing is, is that we are going to explore options. Yeah. Okay. Have I Which worked with ridiculous. you guys for 49 days? Because you got to at least give me 49 days. Paul, I'm going to say you were extremely rude to Dieter. Dieter? <laughs> it was hard. Dieter, I'm so I didn't sorry. know you guys. I was brand new. I couldn't also, tell I if did, you were joking. I, I had no recollection of that, but apparently that was a fresh wound in Dieter's mind. <laughs> He's never gotten over it. That's why literally every time WebOS, Palm, or the web comes up, Dieter just sounds sadder. It's because he's reliving the yeah, trauma. Yeah, I always thought he was li- reliving the trauma fired. of the death of WebOS, but he was re- reliving the trauma of the time I recommended that he lose his job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then the last one that we're going to explain. We start every show by saying we're the flagship podcast. I will say this joke is potentially gotten out of control. Like, it's, it's left my ability to contain it. So the other day, our CEO, Jim Bankoff, was tweeting with obvious and deserved pride because Tim Cook – we're going to talk about the story. Tim Cook had told Kara Swisher on her MSNBC show uh, – he like threw some shade at Mark Zuckerberg. And then Zuckerberg was on Ezra Klein's show and he like fired back. And Bankoff was like, great day for Vox Media. Listen – like watch this show and listen to this podcast. It's like that's where the news happens. And people were responding to him like – Flagship podcast only, bro. <laughs> Just like, okay. Don't do that. <laughs> I was like, this is getting a little out of hand. <laughs> so this is true. We were at one time one of the only podcasts at Vox Media. Mm-hmm. Uh, we obviously launched The Verge with The Vergecast. Now there are lots of them. The company, as it's grown, uh, very smartly decided to like call that a podcast network and like have ads and like a sales team and... Uh, produce like there's an infrastructure mm-hmm. and one of the things you do in a podcast network is you promote one of their shows but i had been for a while we had a bunch of podcasts so i was saying the verge cast was the flagship podcast of the verge but now we're part of this network and i decided that we should have a beef with the weeds the weeds has yet to acknowledge that this beef exists or that the verge cast <laughs> exists we're gonna get there right but i will say that's why we say it because we want to be the flagship does, of the podcast. Where does the word network. flagship come from? I don't. I don't know. We've, I've we've always discussed. assumed you just have like an affinity for boats. I love boats. That's my internal narrative. In an armada, there is a there is a ship that carries the flag of the country which it is killing people for, and that flagship is the 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 ship that houses the admiral that's in charge, which is clearly me of all of yeah. Vox Media's podcasts. <laughs> 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 Wait, if Jim Bankoff, the, point, the flagship CEO, doesn't kill 
the other ships in the Armada. Yeah, they're that's, all like, that's they all work together. That's thing. Like we're we're a team. But they, <laughs> our fans have you interpreted it. A team of rivals. <laughs> a team of rivals, yes. Jim Mankoff is Abraham Lincoln. All right, that's as much a joke explaining we're going to do. If there's other ones, let us know. But that, so that, that brings us to the conclusion of our 300th episode celebration. Congratulations <laughs> to us. Yeah, we did Good great. 298th Good episode. We'll do it again in two episodes. All right, let's talk about some news. There's actually a lot of Apple-like news, and the news happened in the form of of various dramas, some of which are hilariously low stakes, some of which are obviously more important. So we should just talk about the Zuckerberg one. So uh, Tim Cook really did go on Revolution, which airs this Friday, the day that The Verge cast comes out, April 6th. Yep. Uh, So today for the people listening. So pull over your car and get on, watch watch some TV. Kara Swisher and Chris Hayes interviewed Tim Cook in Chicago. Dieter was there. We talked about it on the show last week. So Kara and Chris Hayes asked Tim Cook, what would you do if you were running Facebook? And he said, I wouldn't be in this situation. And then he made some comments about how Apple values data. They don't sell your data. They don't you know, add support to businesses. Fast forward, Zuckerberg goes in the Ezra Klein show. They talk for an hour. Ezra asks him about these comments. Mm. And Zuck replies, you know, I find that argument that if you're not paying, somehow we don't care about you to be extremely glib and not at all aligned with the truth. Uh, and Zuck said Facebook is free to use because it's focused on connecting people and people can't afford to pay. So having an advertising supporting model is the only rational model can, that can support building a service to re- reach people. And then he basically implied that Apple is giving us all Stockholm syndrome, which is incredible. To the contrary, I think it's important that we don't get, all get Stockholm syndrome and let the companies that work hard to charge you more convince you that they actually care more about you because that sounds ridiculous to me. Which is kind of funny in the context of the phone, the iPhone 10 being $1,000 this year. But that's like... That's two big CEOs, just like head to head. Yeah. Like Apple saying Facebook's business model incentivizes them to not care about you. Disclosure, my wife works for Oculus, which is a division of Facebook. Done. So Cook was like, I would not be in that situation. It was like a whole long thing uh, at the end of like talking about a whole bunch of privacy stuff. And it was like the the wrap up of like, well, what would you do if you were Zuckerberg? He's like, I, I wouldn't be Zuckerberg. It was hilarious. I do want to say that calling it glib, saying like not calling it a lie, but like in not not the same as the truth, whatever Zuckerberg's phrase was is whatever going so far as to like take pot shots about apple only being for rich people also whatever but i like the core of that is apple doesn't have a monopoly on caring about customers mm-hmm. uh and and just y- the only way you're allowed to care about customers is if you charge them money like he's not he's not wrong i don't think he's wrong well there's there's different kinds of of caring there's there's how much you love your customers in your heart and then there are is how do you want your users, your customers to use your platform? And Facebook, I've talked about this on the Vergecast, I feel like Facebook's problem and Instagram's problem and kind of Twitter's problem is that as free services, they are trying to maximize how much time and attention you give them instead of maximizing how much satisfaction you derive. But Zuckerberg's changing his whole thing. His whole thing now is time well spent. That's He wants that to be Facebook's core metric. He's way out in front saying people are spending less time on Facebook. We think that's fine. We want to improve the quality of that time. But Facebook, as a business model, doesn't have an intrinsic motivation in that direction, which is possibly how they got so wrong. Right. I mean, I Facebook is making a lot of changes. like New privacy policy, new tools, all the like, – they're going at. They're doing stuff now. It's like very clear that Mark Zuckerberg commanded this company to like change its ways. Yeah. 
Uh, and I say that specifically because yesterday there was a call uh, with reporters. Casey was on it. And Zuck just repeatedly said on the call, look, I created Facebook. I run it. This is my responsibility. And when he says I run it, he has the ownership structure of Facebook is such that he can't be ousted. Yeah. He owns a controlling share. It's it, it, like he is the dictator of Facebook. That's how he has constructed the company. So shareholders can't show up and, hey, stop giving users quality time. We want more time. It, I mean, that's the argument he's making. Now, whether or not yeah. you know, th- there's some arrangement by which shareholders, like massive mm-hmm. shareholders can get together, who knows. But the way Facebook is constructed, he's very much shielded from the way that would normally happen. So I, I don't, I just, I, I'm with Dieter. Like, Facebook wants to say they care about people, but – the entire evidence is they didn't care about people enough until this yep. scandal broke, and now they're making this huge public showing of care, and like that's a long way back. Whereas Apple is like, I don't know, there are stores around the country where like Apple people will like care, like physically care for you, mm. like you show up with like a broken <laughs> product, and Apple's like, we're gonna, I don't know, ask you a bunch put of a wet, they'll put a wet cloth on your forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like. That's their business is to sell you things in exchange for money. And mm. when you have that yeah. relationship, Amazon, like famously, is customer oriented because they sell you things for money. And they're like, they know that if they don't treat you well, you'll stop, they'll stop getting money from you. Facebook doesn't have that. They have to treat their advertisers very well. Yeah. And that's just like a different, it's like, look, we're an ad supported business. I, I get what he's coming for, he's coming from. Like, I think more about our audience than our advertisers, but we are actually structured such that it, is not only inappropriate, it's hard for me to care about the advertisers. Like the company has a wall between us and that side of the business. Mm. It's my job to care about the audience. I don't know how you do that for a software product like Facebook. I mean, especially again, he's he's not in charge of user experience. He's in charge of Facebook. Right. Anyway, so that's drama one. We're going to come back to Facebook later. Drama two, when I said very small, is super funny to me. So The weekend just put a new EP. He was like two exclusive videos on Spotify, promoted Spotify. Like The weekend was like, listen to my new thing on Spotify. And then the numbers came out and Apple was super excited uh, because the label said more, more streams happened on Apple Music. So the lead Which is single- interesting because Spotify has like, what is it, 120 million subs and Apple Music is like half that? Uh, so Micah wrote a great piece about it. Spotify has 120 million more users, had two exclusive videos from the EP, and was like where The Weeknd did it. And yeah. the lead single, Call Out My Name, did 6 million streams on Apple Music and 3.5 million streams on Spotify in the first 24-hour period. But then Spotify <laughs> came back and were like, these numbers are wrong. Spotify said it initially gave the wrong numbers to Republic Records, and it was actually streamed 7.5 million times, which obviously more than... Apple, but Micah went and checked with the label, and the label said 6.5 million. And the label then directed uh, Micah to Spotify's public tracker, which also says 6.5 million. So counting is really hard. And now <laughs> Apple Music and Spotify are literally it's in, a, in a war about counting streams, which seems like an extremely basic thing for these well, services. I, st- to do. I said it at the top of the show counting is, is a thing. Counting well, is up very until- hard. Up until like, I don't know, a year ago, your views on YouTube videos were always 301 for like the first six hours. And yeah. then like, oh, wait, now we can count. But we no, know it's more than 300, but that's all we know. But no, YouTube did that on purpose to prevent some kind of gaming that was going on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a whole a, a really good explainer video about that. Just search for YouTube 301. Yeah, counting is hard. <laughs> counting is hard. Well, it's funny because Spotify keeps getting sued. We had Sarah on to talk about like royalties. Right. Like, if you can't count how many streams, <laughs> you're never going to be able to pay these people the right amount of money. You know what? They keep getting sued. All right, that's drama. That's drama uh, two. Drama three with Apple, which is actually I think a great move for them. They hired uh, Google's former head of search and AI to come yep. run Siri. I can John Gianandria. Is his name? Yes. Head of Google Correct. Search and AI. Now runs here. Dieter, is this a, this this is a good thing? I feel like it's a great move for Apple. Um, he he clearly knows you know what he's doing, and the I mean the big questions for Siri are the big questions that there there have always been. Like there was that information story that like you know internally the team was confused and didn't know what it was doing. There's the perennial question of whether or not Apple's privacy models prevent them from getting enough data to build up an AI model. I kind of think that it doesn't, that they're, they're going to be fine there. You know, it's going to take a while for him to suss it out. But, I mean, I guess my takeaway is if, as like a, a person who's like a manager, mm-hmm. the idea, like if, if series like management structure and the, the teams aren't getting along and it's all confusing, if that's like a problem, I have to believe that problem is tiddlywinks compared to the organizational structure at Google, which is just like a million people doing whatever the heck they feel like all the time. Yeah. So he's got a good shot. The, what, what's weird, and this is like not about AI, but I, I read somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, he's reporting directly to Tim Cook. Good. Yes. The AI person should report directly to Tim Cook. But I'm pretty sure somebody said that he's like the 26th person 16. to report directly. To- 16? Okay, sorry. Yeah. 16th person. That's too many people to report to a CEO. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Right? Like, yeah. I, just That's just a lot of people. You're, you're, you're supposed to like actually pay attention to the people that report to you, and uh, 16 people is a lot of people to pay attention to. Yeah. Like our HR department gets real antsy when when somebody here has more than ten people reporting to them. Oh really? They yeah. think you'll, they, th- they think you'll be a bad manager if you have more than ten. Hmm. They're right. Yeah. So the, uh, this makes me. It, it reminds me of the you know the Microsoft reorg has mm-hmm. like five different AI divisions, but there's definitely this vibe I'm seeing from companies where like you because you there's multiple ways to do AI. You can have a product and you can add AI to it as a value add, or you can have. AI as like a, almost an op, like an IBM style, almost like an operating system within your company, and the applications you build can like go to that AI for augmentation. Yeah, like does that make sense? So in one scenario, each each team that's building an app is adding AI functionality or machine learning functionality to their app, and the other sense, the company has a huge AI division that is. The, the additional smarts for any app in their yeah. company, and I think that's yeah. how Google kind of does it. That's how Micro, that's where Microsoft appears to be going. Um, yeah. That's I don't think that's how Amazon does it because they also like run a store. <laughs> so like, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Kindle team isn't like adding AI <laughs> to the bookstore. So Google uh, promoted this guy named uh, Jeff Dean uh, mm-hmm. to run it. He did Google Brain to run search uh, and AI to run search and AI. Over at Apple, Gian Andrea, the thing that's interesting about him, if you're not familiar, is he he used to work for this company called MetaWeb way back in the day. But he was the the guy who was like behind Google's knowledge graph, so mm-hmm. that the Google search could understand like entities and things and their relation to each other. And if he's going to bring that sort of capability to Siri or improve that sort of capability in Siri, I think that that could actually be a really important piece for uh, fixing Siri's problems. 
It like it knows that there are things and they relate to other things, and it that 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 is what allows you to ask follow up questions, which Siri can kind of do. But there's like every time Siri gets something wrong, I often feel like it's like a, making a a category mistake. Like it just it's just reading the text, trying to figure out what the text means, and then going out and finding something. It it doesn't realize you're asking for like a specific piece of information, and that information has relation to other pieces of information. And I think that him going to Apple might mean that Siri is going to get smarter in that way. There's a really good tweet I saw this week. Uh, someone asked Siri, how long can a lobster survive out of water? So Siri went to Wolfram Alpha and took the uh, uh, maximum recorded lifespan of a lobster <laughs> and divided that by the world's water area. <laughs> so the answer is, this is Siri's literal answer. The answer is 3.23 times 10 to the negative 7 years per mile square. <laughs> That's great. Ready to go, Siri. Um, here's the question, though. What, what you just described is Siri doesn't have, like, a built-in search engine functionality. Mm-hmm. Like, Google's very good at this because they have a knowledge graph. They have a search engine. Mm-hmm. Search engine is designed to answer questions. You just sort of add some, like voice recognition to that or voice input to that. Like he, you've got Google Assistant, right? And like, and then you can build from there, but you start with a very strong foundation. Siri relies on Bing to its great detriment. Siri relies <laughs> on Wolfram Out. Like, do they want this dude to build a new search engine? Because that's like fundamentally Ooh. the thing you have to do if you want to own this experience. Now I'm trying to, man, this would be way better if I could remember any of the old names of old search engines. <laughs> Alta Vista. Alta Vista. What was Lycos. The, Ask Jeeves. What was the first Ask one that Jeeves. was called like a web crawler? It had like a spider as its like logo. Spidertron. There was like Hotbot. Oh, Hotbot was good. They're Hot, all dead now. Hotbot was my go-to. Okay. You know what? Like, draw to, does draw Apple buy DuckDuckGo? It's like that, right? Like to me, that's that hiring one person from Google is a great move. Mm-hmm. But the core piece of this infrastructure for the assistant is what Dieter is saying, which is understanding what you're saying. Web crawler, by the way, is web, the one you're thinking of. Uh, web crawler was called web crawler. <laughs> Nailed okay. it. Excite. Are you just oh, listing excite. old search engines? Oh, excite. Yeah, dude. Talk about All the right, death of the web, man. All right. I'm going to read AOL. Yeah, AOL's great. Uh, <laughs> Theverge.com slash search. That's not, I don't think Ooh. that actually works. It's not, also not great. All right. I'm going to read an ad. And we come back, we're going to talk about Dieter's iPad review and what's going on with this Mac Pro situation. This episode of Virtual brought to you by Simply Safe. Simply Safe is a security system, and it's ready for anything that gets thrown at it. If a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe is ready. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe is ready. If they destroy your keypad or siren, Simply Safe will still get you the help you need. Look, maybe it's overkill, maybe you don't need to be ready for every worst case scenario, but that's what makes Simply Safe's home security system so great. It is always ready. Simply Safe could cost an arm and a leg, but it doesn't. Instead, they only charge you what's fair 24 7. Professional security monitoring is just $14.99 a month. There are no contracts or hidden fees. You've got to check it out. So go to simplysafe.com slash verge. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash verge today. And to pr- you'll protect your home and family. That's simplysafe.com slash verge. All right, Dieter, you review the – what is there to say? You review the new iPad. It's the you know, iPad you really, you really cut yourself off. Here's the problem that you had. Last yeah. year, you wrote an entire review uh-huh. of the iPad – they just said uh-huh. it's an iPad over and over again. I did. You thought you were so clever. <laughs> because you assumed that they would do something else. 
the next year. Paying yourself into a corner. <laughs> I really, I, like, I applaud you for the effort. Yeah. And then you, um, this year you just block quoted yourself. <laughs> I did. <laughs> what else was I going to do? Like, it's it's the same thing. The processor's faster. It adds pencil support. The end. Um, I actually, I do want to say one thing. Um, I stand by the score. Uh, I stand by everything I wrote about it. Um, but I am kicking myself a lot, actually, for not having a couple of paragraphs once again complaining about the biggest problem with the iPad, which is uh, there's no multi-user support on it. So uh, sharing it with your kids or sharing it with the family is a huge pain. Yeah. What What do you think a world would look like? Because uh, something that you were saying near the end was the complete lack of competition that Apple has. Yeah. Is probably no, honestly slowing so things we're down. Gonna, we're going to review the Huawei Tab Pad, whatever the heck it's it's uh, Android tablet. There's the the Samsung Galaxy Tab S3, whatever the heck it is. But they're like Android is bad on tablets still. Yeah. That's always been the story. Um, I'm willing to give give another shot, but like I've used that Samsung tablet. It's not good. What would a world like with look like with actual competition? God, I I just don't know. But please tell me, other than a Chromebook, what you can buy for less than five hundred bucks. That is as good as an iPad. Like you can get a Windows laptop that's pretty good. You could. There are a couple Windows tablets, but I don't think they're very good at that price. Sorry. Um, if you want a touchscreen device under five hundred bucks, what else is there? A twenty thirteen Nexus Seven. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I have a twenty thirteen Nexus Seven. Yeah. It's kind of dying, and I don't know what to do. Yeah. 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 I don't. I don't disagree with you at all. It's just there's nothing. It's so yeah. weird. No, the, the thing is that there's there a other, lot. Yeah. That uh, there is a lot. Like Samsung makes a lot of very nice tablets. No one gives a shit. Like you can yeah. buy. I guess if you want to watch, are they Netflix, very nice? If you just want to watch Netflix, yeah. the world is your oyster. Yeah. No, Dieter, they're, yeah, they're no, like go nice buy, pieces go buy of an Amazon Fire tablet. Say that again, Neil. The like they all have different letters. I can not. I can never tell them apart. Like. Samsung Tab Q, like any random, you know, like two hundred ish dollar Samsung tablet, is like they're basically clones of the iPad Mini. Yeah, they're, they're nice. Like, what's going on with the iPad Mini, by the way? Uh, Apple continues to sell it. Har- harsh neglect is what I like. To I like call. that it costs more than the new iPad. <laughs> right, three ninety nine is very confusing. Do we use the iPad Mini a lot on the Circuit Breaker show? It's nice to have like a tiny little tiny little iPad. It's like a nice little yeah. media control device. Yeah, I wish it had wireless charging. Mm. I'd like to just like keep it on a stand. I that's like, why oh, I yeah. use. The, that's why I have the Nexus Seven, the only tablet with wireless charging ever made. Because I just like leave it on a stand, and that's like our little Sonos thing, and boop boop boop, and it works. It's like it's like uh, the world just isn't like complete without like. Real competition in this space. Competition, that's the theme of the Vergecast. Mm-hmm. That's what we. That's what we do on the flagship. I will say, uh, I bought an iPad specifically because there were so many cool music apps. Yeah, and Linux actually has a famously bad uh, real-time audio stack, and that like it's just like obviously Macs have a history of music production. Windows is now great for music production. Uh, and iOS is awesome for music stuff, but you just don't see a lot of music stuff on Linux because it's just been historically and still apparently, as far as I know, 
It's very bad at real-time audio. Yeah. And Max, so we even talk about the least interesting iPad stuff, Apple stuff. We should talk about the more interesting Apple stuff. Well, so, uh, yeah. Do you want to do this segue yeah. either? I had one. I had one in my mind, but I want to hear yours. No, let's do yours. Mine, okay. was, mine was bad. So this, Here, let's, let's do it. This, this is like a thing. So that history of like audio production on Max mm. is really mm. it's be, uh-huh. because they're like professional computers that do audio <laughs> well. But Apple, the Mark Gurman had a big scoop in Bloomberg. Apple is thinking about. Uh, moving Max to a, a different processor. He didn't specify which. I think everybody assumes it will be a series processors which are very fast. Mm-hmm. And then Apple uh, did a sort of tech crunch today. Uh, Matt Panzerino went to Apple and they told him that the, the new Mac Pro, which they promised last year, would be coming out in 2019. Right. But the ARM rumor is Apple will be switching to ARM in 2020. Yeah. So I don't know if these are really... Well, German's story up. says that he says the Mac Pro might have an ARM coprocessor, like the Mac, the iMac Pro has. Yeah, but it's unclear. But that's used just for like security stuff and encryption. Yeah, because Apple's moving all their like bootloader and stuff. But my dream is Apple could make like a, a Pro hardware that is just completely just forget that anything else other than uh, Final Cut Pro and Logic exist. Yeah. <laughs> and just and just make a computer with like, oh, we have get the Mac Pro Video Edition. It's got a great like workstation graphics card. It's got really fast RAM. It's got a really fast like Xeon processor. Also, it has this dedicated chip just for like improving your video transcoding in Final Cut. Like we just like added a couple random extra application specific chips to just make. Our pro apps, just the fastest thing in the world. So they should I, just they should ship the the trash can again and just have one of those little Elgato USB sticks yeah. plugged into the back of it. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> no, when I Mac was uh, when I was like a kid, we, uh, my family owned the shortest lived Mac in history, mm-hmm. the uh, the Centris 660 AV. Uh, it was I think on the market for 57 days, <laughs> like some insanely short period Rough. of time. Because uh, Apple was Wait, a mess you mean the Quadra? No, no, no. That's that's why it was the shortest. They changed the name to Quadra 660 AV later. Oh, but like in the middle of its lifespan. Uh, that ch- that computer, uh, it's true, had a dedicated AT and T DSP chip in it for transcoding video. That's yes. why it was AV. And it, it I had, had I had the 6100 AV. I made like st- I had Adobe Premiere that I installed with floppy disks, and I made stop motion movies on a Mac a hundred years ago. Yeah. And it had little RCA video out. It was yep. a hilarious computer. Um, I think this move, this potential move to ARM, theater. When you're talking about iPads, you've got the iPad Pro, which is the, it's a computer, right? The future of yeah. computing, mm. whatever whatever Dieter <laughs> thinks about <laughs> happens over there. And then you've got this other <laughs> iPad without a keyboard connector, a slightly slower processor, worse screen. Like it seems like they're going in different directions. Does that seem right to you? Yeah, I I don't know what direction they're going with the iPad. Like it it was the it was the bare minimum. They did the minimum possible amount of work, and it almost feels like they didn't put in a smart connector just because they wanted to keep differentiating the iPad Pro. But again, we're all assuming the iPad Pro is going to be upgraded later this year, and they're going to pull out the home button and put Face ID on it. So that seems silly. Um, I don't know. I have no idea what's going on. Like the iPad, they just like they just put out another one because they wanted all the iPads to support the Apple Pencil, except the iPad Mini, which still exists. 
Yeah. Um, that's as near as I can tell. Uh, the The question for the Mac is like, we're assuming it's going to be an ARM-based processor, but that's actually going to be um, pretty hard. They, they went through one processor transition already back in the misty mists of time from the, you know, whatever it was, the Motorola-based stuff to Intel. I feel like the transition to, from Intel to ARM on the Mac in 2019, 2020 is going to be a little bit rocky uh, for existing Mac apps. I think that they're, it, it's just going to end up being like a harder shift. It's going to be like, well, there'll be an emulation mode, but it'll be really, really bad. And everyone is just going to port over their iOS apps to some sort of Mac style interface. Uh, I don't see any other way to do it. And because it's not like the the there's a, a great like the Mac App Store is not uh, not a good not a good place to hang out, I'll yeah. say. Uh, but like Mac apps are still good, but there's so many more electron apps. That's like where all the excitement is. And there's like lots of reasons that electron apps are bad. And yeah, I don't know how they pull this transition off as smoothly as they did with the transition to Intel. I think the transition would be easier than it was to Intel. You think so? Because the compilers have gotten so much better at at being able to target because any, any code that you're writing in C or C++, you want it to yeah. be able to run on ARM and you want it to be able to run on x86. But then if anything that you make with Apple's own tools like with Swift or Xcode, uh, Swift in Xcode with Swift or Objective-C, is obviously totally able to compile to ARM right. because the iOS is So a oh, you think it'll be easier not because there'll be a, a really good like emulation mode uh, like Rosetta. You think it'll be easier because everybody will just be able to make ARM versions of their apps really quickly and easily with the tools that are out there right now. Right. So as long as it's not abandonware and someone just still has access to their own source code, they can just recompile the app for ARM. And fix any like little warnings that come up, and then redistribute right. it. And that was and Electron apps obviously move right over. That's no no problem at all because it's a wrapper. Uh, and that, because unless of course the Mac is you know locked down like the iPad, and you're not allowed to install anything except what's in the app. Well, store. then I will. Um, I don't know. I'm going to be angry, <laughs> and I'll be mad, and I'll yell. Well, so I think that's like a really <laughs> this is abandon Apple. So it's true. Dieter pointed out uh, Apple obviously moved from. Uh, PowerPC processors to Intel. First, they moved from 68K processors to PowerPC. That was a whole shift. Mm -hmm. Then they moved from PowerPC yep. to Intel. And then, I think we forget this all the time, they moved the entire Mac operating system, right? They they had OS 9, the classic Mac OS, yeah. and they just sort of like, here's OS 10. And now yeah, we've had, had that, a, we've had that for so long. Carbon was like the intermediate? Yeah, so they had all these like intermediate, they had Carbon and Cocoa, and then they promised that Carbon apps would like, live in the new world mm -hmm. and then they kind of like went back on it and they moved over to Coco. It was like a whole thing. And the, the all the boxes had colors. There was the blue box and the yellow box. You remember all this? It was crazy. The boxes had colors? Yeah. Because yeah. the original Next Step environment was called the, it was like a whole thing. They've like managed this before. My point is all of the people that did all of that are gone. Right? That was A.B. Tavanian and uh, uh, um, Scott Forstall all the old Next people. Like, they don't work at Apple anymore. So like, right? They've got to do it again. They have the, these great playbooks, but the people who ran the playbooks are gone. Uh, Steve Jobs, little known figure in Apple history, was like in charge <laughs> at the time, um, and he, you know, he had the juice to be like, "We're throwing all this away. We're starting over." It's Apple still Apple. I just think they, they could do it again. Linux like, runs completely seem like you can run Linux on the Raspberry Pi. It's just a different compile target. Yeah, like switching architectures nowadays. I feel like is is so. Almost trivial. It's not actually trivial, but it's close to trivial. Yeah. 
I, I don't so know. if the performance is there, I mean that's I mean that's still kind of the question. Like at the high end, you know, Intel just came out with six core, four gigahertz laptop chips that can you can still have a laptop that gets like ten hours of battery life. Uh, you know, is does Apple have something that competes at that speed in general computing? So this is I think this this the two stories coming out together are super interesting to me. So like Apple, you know, the tech story is great. You read it, but Apple's all about like we hired our own pro users so we could watch them work and like design a system for them, which is like insane. But that's what they did, and they you know they're like it's Apple. They're like the London Symphony Orchestra works here now. Like we just did it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it when they do stuff like that. And then there's another story about them moving the architecture. But you you can't tell Adobe Creative Cloud now has to run a serious processor. Like you can't promise a new computer coming out next year. And the rumor is you're switching architectures. You're like, like, you need to have a roadmap to make all that stuff work over time. So presumably, this co-process thing could happen. Or, you know, I think the little MacBook is a great target for a faster ARM processor. Yeah. Because that thing is just woefully underpowered. Like maybe that, maybe maybe they dual track it for a while, but ew, that's a lot. Also, I have no idea why the Mac Pro is coming out in a year. Yeah, like, it seems like it's been a while. Well, the last one was 2013. Well, it's just like, does it take a year to build a tower did, PC? Did Apple completely wind down Mac Pro as a concept within the company, and they were just selling off old stock? And then at some point, like last year, they finally realized that they should make another one? And then they had to make a whole new team to remember how to make a computer? It's just like, I don't know, like a lot of people build PCs in a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't, what are you doing? Someone, someone send Tim Cook a link to PC Part Picker right now. Like, well, that's what people want, right? They want a modular tower PC. Yes. And Apple's like, it's going to take us over, it's going to take us two years mm-hmm. to build this thing, which is bonkers. And I, you know, they're obviously going to be beautiful design, but like, I, Main Gear is like, here's another design today. Yep. Razor's like, there's more LEDs, more LEDs than you can think about. I hope Apple puts LEDs on it. If they go hard for Razor, like Tim Cook's on stage, like, you, know the, you know what the problem with all these LEDs are? <laughs> they're not controlled by Siri. Yeah, they're all, um, the whole surface of the computer does that weird melty color thing that the HomePod does. That'd be great. I would be super into that. All right, I'm going to read one more ad. Then we're going to, be honest with you, we're going to dunk on Facebook and then we're going to end the show. <laughs> All right, this episode of Virtual brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion, and food production will need to grow by 70%. Farmers are going to IBM and Watson to help increase their crop yields. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash smart. All right, there's a lot of Facebook, but before that, Paul, yeah. every week you do a segment. And it always has the same name. And so to verify every time that they all have the same name, yeah, some people mm-hmm. think I'm lying. <laughs> Andrew, in honor of episode 300, has put together a short audio clip of you saying the same words in a row. Andrew. Paul. Mm-hmm. Every week, buddy. Yeah. You do a thing. Mm-hmm. What's it called? It's called Gadget of the Week. Yeah, this week it's called Gadget Surprise. Games are gadgets too. Gadget Secrets. It's uh. called Gadget Guys. It's called Pokemon Go. <laughs> Tips and Tricks <laughs> Review. Called Gadget Secrets. Gadget Flavor. The Gadgets Have Eyes. Kobo Hype. It's called Let yeah. Me Touch You With Science. <laughs> Cost 
Coco Cool. Medium format in the moonlight. Having a Coke with you. Cookie pods. <laughs> Plugs for pros. Speaking of things that you can't buy. <laughs> WebOS still exists, Dieter. Are you sad? Put this computer in that computer. <laughs> it's called Dry Your Sweaty Palms. It's called Please Don't Talk to Me. Can't You See I'm Busy? It's called Dieter Wouldn't Let Me Make a Slurping Noise. Hey, look at me now. It's called Friendship is Like a Curry. It's called Stronger Together. Guess who's got a birthday coming up? <laughs> Not so far away. It may be possible for me to think in Mandarin and for you to feel instantly in Spanish. Four, 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 four. Four fours. Four fours. Yeah. It's called four fours. Vroom, vroom goes the car. Let me hug your robot heart. Gates all around, all around. I see seed, semicolon, so much seed. I like to call my dinner with Andre. It's called spin safety. Toothpaste pods. <laughs> Mezu. Me too. Smalt you later. Froyo pods. It's called you say surveillance. I say Seussvalence. Yoda phone three, still yoda -ing. Who will let me out of this yarn prison? It's called... Untitled. Is there a refrigerator in this thing? Dog food pods. Kitch in the cloud. A cloud is spelled with a K. <laughs> Micro is more mini than mini. You know, Dan, the duck face is no longer cool. Smells like a competitive foothold in the machine learning... Um, water pods can form an emotional bond with members of the household while providing them with love, affection, and the joy of nurturing and raising a companion. It's called one, two, one. And you spell out one, then it's the number two. And then you could say W-O-N or just O-N-E. Robot dogs are people too. Whiskey pods? No. Color me surprised. The internet of claps. Robots teach me how to breathe. Mustard, back off. Win or lose, two. The sequel to winning. A kin for your wrist. Not my editor's choice. Oh. USB secrets. Fingers are round if you think about it. Warm robot hugs. Bounce shot. Shoes. You've got them because this one's called Untitled. Swag for me. Swag for you too. The little robot that could. <laughs> <laughs> I know it got boring after a while when I was just saying the same thing over and over. But anyways. Yeah, so it's three minutes of dull repetition. Uh, Whiskey pods. <laughs> right, what you got? Oh, this week, like every week, it's called Lonely Alone. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to introduce you to Freebo. That's F-R-I-B-O. A robot built for lonely young people, specifically Koreans. Uh, this robot, it's... It's, there's actually like they've actually done research about this robot. I think this robot was like invented by like researchers, not like it's not necessarily a product. Um, it's based on a Raspberry Pi. But the idea is you put this robot in your home, and your buddies put this robot in their home as well. And then like you get home, and the robot will tell your friends like, "Hey, Paul just got home," or like you like open the fridge. The, I don't know other things. The, the idea is that to make people who live alone have like ambient notifications about what their friends are doing and their friends are notified about what they're doing so that they're more connected with other people. And some of the people who were studied, they did it like a month trial, felt more connected. They ended up like calling each other more. Because, you know, like if you, if you know your friend's just getting home from yeah. work, uh, like maybe that's a good time to call and catch up. One person mentioned that like uh, they had a hard time waking up in the morning, but all their friends were waking up early, so they started waking up early too. I thought that's really cool. I've uh, I know some people who uh, they live alone, um, or with like roommates they don't really know, 
And the way they stay in touch with people is Discord. Like, mm-hmm. basically, at night, they're at their computer all night, and they just have Discord open like with an open audio channel. And it doesn't mean they're always talking, but they just have, like, that ambient companionship. I think it's really it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I think this is an incredibly sweet and nice. This thing isn't for me because it's meant for young people, um, apparently. Uh, so I, I don't have that. Uh, also, what if you don't have friends? Then the robot can't help you? Yeah. Okay. We, we did a story this week. <laughs> Sorry, Dieter. Same. Uh, step, we did, no, we did a story one. this week about um, I, I, lots of people, in, young people in South Korea bought Bitcoin. And Bitcoin fluctuations are like causing depression in South Korea Ooh. among millennials, which is a just a wild thing to connect. But maybe they should all have little robots. Yeah, what if you, yeah. maybe, here's the thing, set up a little corner store that sells free bows and also monitors in-person Bitcoin exchanges. Yeah. <laughs> so you can meet someone <laughs> with similar interests, and now you can both go home with free bows separately and keep tabs on each other like spies. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. All right. Let's talk about Facebook real quick. It's dominated the news week. It's not like, it's very wonky. If you're really interested in it, I highly recommend you sign up for Casey Newton's daily Facebook and democracy newsletter. The interface is a very good, obviously you all know Casey is a very funny writer. He's really deep in it. He's pulling out all the, he's basically synthesizing all the coverage that happens every day about Facebook, which is almost impossible to keep up with. And what we're talking about is the tender apocalypse. Yeah. Well, so Facebook <laughs> changed their data policies this week. Uh, that immediately broke Tinder, which logs in over Facebook and shares much data with Facebook. Yeah, that's hilarious. I tried to log into Tinder, and it's a, it's a, it's like, oh, well, you got to authorize with Facebook, and then you get like more like uh, granular. It's it's more explicit about like what you're actually granting Facebook. So, but you're like, okay, I'll go to the Facebook app. Yes, I authorized Tinder, even though I have authorized Tinder before. Go, it kicks you back to Tinder, and Tinder's like, hey. Got authorized with Facebook, and you're just stuck in a loop, or like that's what it was yesterday. So that's that. Yep. Mark Zuckerberg also on a phone call with reporters described himself as a power user of the internet, mm-hmm. which is my favorite <laughs> phrase in the world. Uh, Slate's uh, Will Arima said, "Would you use apps like this? How do you protect yourself?" Uh, his response was, "I certainly use a lot of apps. I'm a power user of the internet," and then suggested that everybody turns on two factor. We're going to make that a shirt. Just like give us another day. Our, power user over the internet? Yeah. There's our yeah. designers today, they literally got so excited about designing shirts and having a competition that at one point our art director, Will Joel, who's wonderful, slacked me and was like, this is really distracting us. Like we have, We're going to stop doing this. <laughs> um, but so that call was really interesting. The Zuckerberg interview with Ezra is really interesting. A thing that strikes me is – Zuckerberg is saying a lot of big ideas about how he's going to change Facebook without a lot of like sense of how complicated it is. So his biggest idea is basically like Facebook is a government, right? Mm-hmm. Like he they talk about Facebook like it's a government and he's like I don't want to be the person in California deciding what's acceptable on Facebook and all the places Facebook serves. Mm-hmm. We're going to like find a way for communities to do it themselves which is a lot of authority to hand off. Also, no one's ever figured out how to do that in history. 
Including like, Facebook, which has tried to do it. They used to have a voting system and nobody voted. Or I mean, hu- like hundreds of thousands of people voted, but they wanted at least 30% of all its user base to vote, which was an impossible task. Wait, so they never, never, nothing ever passed. What was this voting system? So we uh, we did a story about it today. Um, I think Addy did it? Um, Addy did it, yep. So, yeah, so they're in the late... I don't know, it was 09, I think, they had a, a system where they like wanted to propose rule changes. And so then they put out two different terms of service, giant you know, legal documents, and they're like, okay, users, we will do whatever you tell us to do, whichever one you vote for. The rules are uh, it's binding if 30% of you vote. And let, it, let us know. So people had to see the thing, read the thing, understand the thing, and then vote on the thing. And they got, you know, like the first the first time they did the ballot, it was, I don't know, 600,000 people, which seems like a lot, but it worked out to like, you know, a tenth of a percent, one percent of their user base. And it only wanted it to be binding if it was 30 percent. So their first cut at doing something like the community leads it was like crazy town. And so whatever community based standards he wants to create, the problem is that moderating is hard and people won't do it for free. Yeah. And it's different from place to place. And so you can't apply the same rules across all 2 billion people because you can't get a big enough percentage of those people to agree on anything or even engage with the process in the first place. So this is what I mean. Like the his ideas for the future of Facebook are huge ideas. Mm. They're super interesting. And then you pull the thread and they like fall apart. So he pointed out that in surveys, when you ask millennials around the world how they identify themselves or what their their most like uh, uh, core sense of identity is, power users of the power internet, users of the internet, <laughs> uh, yeah, they're just like typing in the Reddit <laughs> handles. Uh, um, no, they say they identify as citizens of the world, not ethnicity, not nationality. They're citizens of the world, and he's like, we got to so do something that So the confusing thing that. about that to me is, if anybody like. It's very scary to me that millennials are identifying as citizens of the world when they get asked that question because like, aren't they getting punched in the face for it all the time <laughs> just for being uh, uh, you know insufferable? I don't know. Just, uh, they're just taking an online poll. I don't think they're like running around being like, I'm a citizen of the world. I mean, I don't know what the kids yeah. are doing these days. But okay. it strikes me that I don't see many teens running around. Anyway, my point is there's no such thing as a citizen of the world that like, you can idealize and then create policy for. There's no such thing as a citizen of the United States you can idealize and create a policy for. Right? We run massive, messy elections. People are disagreeing. That's Twitter's entire business. <laughs> but you, you just you can't do it for a citizen of Chicago. You can't idealize the citizen of Chicago and build a policy that makes sense for that person. I mean, like, there's no generic in, citizen. Yeah, there's no generic citizen of the world. Like that right. thing. It's fun to think about, but when you actually try to build a what. Zuckerberg literally says a good functioning democratic system is what he wants Facebook to be. Mm. You can't just like make rules. You have to let people participate in those rules and you have to very clearly define the communities. And he hasn't done that. Like that is where this idealistic idea just grinds into the reality of politics. This, I mean, this, I think it kind of works on Reddit where you have a, a general Reddit terms of service and then every subreddit is run by a group of dictators, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then some some subreddits have a process for modifying the moderation team. But Facebook, you are you aren't always in the umbrella of a specific community. Sometimes you're just out there on Facebook in a general sense. So what does that mean? Yeah. Who runs that? I I something 
I mean, this is probably a real tangent. I'm sorry. But a really interesting governance model that I have been seeing is called the uh, the RFC process. Uh, and Rust uh, uses it. Uh, the Rust programming language, uh, which Mozilla started, uses it. And now a lot of other open, so- like big open source projects, I believe Facebook's React uses it. And the idea, it's, it's, it's a request for comment or request for change, something like that. So it's like, right now, the rules are this, or the programming language is this. Here's what I think would be a good change. Then community members can pile in and comment on that change and the the stakeholders of that specific part of the of the like the rust compiler or the rust standard library some aspect of the rust programming language those stakeholders have like a like a stronger voice uh, but ultimately because they're it works better because they're going towards a technical solution that ultimately yeah. people end up agreeing one is right and there's like probably better. some objective and you have people who care, and the mm. thing is small, and it's not scaled and to then you, billion. I mean, you also do have people with firm authority who can, in a some sense, like be voted out if they are are doing bad. At I think that's that great. It, that's great when you have these small things that are organized around a goal. When you're trying to run Facebook as a government, so another one of Zuckerberg's ideas is that you will appeal if you think a post has been taken out unfairly, and if you don't like the ruling, you can then appeal to an independent third party. That doesn't work for Facebook, and he says, kind of like a Supreme Court. Hmm. And I'm like, I, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. Is it? it is so like it is. It sounds really. Why is it dumb? What's great? So dumb about the second you pull on that, it completely falls apart. So, if you want to build a court system, well, you got to decide like who is on the court. Step one: who's on the court? Can you imagine Facebook appointing? Just think you want a generic – like the first person they appoint is some extremely generic middle-of-the-road like lawyer, right, who's like done a lot of speech work. Mm -hmm. That person gets immediately attacked by everyone left and right because now they have this power and every decision they've ever – does that court set – so that's step one. You just got to staff it. How many people are on the court? Because you know what you have? You have an infinite volume of appeals. Mm-hmm. So do they get to reject some appeals? Or are you just going to have infinity people on the court to deal with their infinity problems? Who knows? Do their decisions create precedent? Are there going to be Facebook Supreme what? Court lawyers? What, what like the get? second you pull on this thread, you're like, oh, shit. You know what took a really long time and was really hard? Uh, building the government of the United States. <laughs> when did we get so far away from this concept that the, what people do on the internet using platforms and like forums, for instance, and like Napster, they are ultimately liable for their own actions. And if you make a, a system, let's say Napster, that is entirely predicated on people doing something illegal, then maybe you'll get shut down for that. But otherwise, you aren't super liable for what your users do. I feel like that was like a principle of the early internet that we have slowly not still around. and almost so entirely is, backed away from. We had, no, 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 not even a little bit. So what you're describing is this part of the Communications Decency Act, CDA 230. Lawyers and policymakers are talking about it all the time, and it 
it basically says you're not liable for what users do on your platform, and it gives platforms permission to exert a bunch of moderation control and still remain and still maintain that shield against liability. So you're allowed to moderate, but it doesn't make you liable for everything. Yeah, it's like a weird misconception. So it keeps you from turning into a media company that's responsible for the things that happen. Right, and this has been around for 20 years, right? That thing is what allows Facebook and Reddit and YouTube to the exist. The Verge. The Verge. <laughs> like, we have comments. Like, I'm not liable for what people do in our comments. We heavily moderate the comments because we want to have a good community. Hmm. But if you post... You know, some if you post the entire text of some copyrighted book in our comments, like I'm not liable for it, I should probably take it down. But mm-hmm. so it's that shield, CDA two thirty. It's a really important shield. There's a lot of debate around what should break the shield. So child porn breaks the shield. If people are posting child porn in your user generated content platform and you don't do anything about it, you're liable because you should do something about it. There was a new law called SESTA that just passed. If people are using your platform, Craigslist, to do sex trafficking, you're liable. Craigslist and all the other ones reacted by changing what kinds of ads they do entirely. They don't even want to touch it. Well, didn't Microsoft change its policy in reaction to that too? Yeah, a bunch of platforms reacted to SESTA by saying we're not doing this other thing. And that's SESTA was to prevent sex trafficking. It was to break the shield of CDA 230 by preventing sex trafficking. So that conversation on CDA 230 that makes has, you liable. Now. Makes you liable if people are. So don't you need to monitor your platform entirely now? Or just not allow those kinds of things, which is what Craigslist did. We're just not yeah. doing these kinds of ads. That whole genre. The whole genre of ads. We're shutting it down because right. we can't we can't appropriately monitor it. So like the contours of CDA 230, I was actually just talking about this with Sarah Jong today because she's really interested in it. She knows way more about it than I do. But the contours of it are people are th- rethinking the contours of it. And one of the things that's interesting is – the argument for they shouldn't be liable, one of the arguments for CDA230 existing is it allows companies like Facebook, Google, Reddit, YouTube, AOL to exist. Mm-hmm. Just like flat out. They can exist because they don't, they're not liable and they can ex- exercise some control over the platform. Now you have a company like Facebook. It exists. It was allowed to exist free of this liability. It has fundamentally a monopoly over the kinds of things. That, it doesn't have a lot of competitors. The competitors did have it just purchased. Mm. So should 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 our rethinking of this industry change because it's no longer in the we need to nurture it phase. It's in the these are giants that control information flow phase. And should we ask them to accept more liability? Should we change the contours of 230? I, do, I don't know how you can make a platform with a billion-ish people on it and that platform is around those people – communicating or whatever, connecting with each other and have no have any guarantee from that platform that no one's going to use that to harm anybody. I think that's like a really reductive way to think about it, right? So Zuckerberg also in his interview with Ezra Klein, Klein asked him about what was happening in Myanmar where Facebook was being used to like basically incite ethnic cleansing. And Zuckerberg was like, yeah, we noticed these messages were being sent on Messenger. We detected them and we stopped them from going through. Because we have this responsibility to do it. So they, they just did that, right? That's Facebook's choice. The question of how they detected the messages is kind of interesting. Like, was there an AI farm doing it? And we asked Facebook. Facebook got back to us and they said people were reporting them. So that once we figured out that they were being reported, we, like, took some action. That's them doing it on their own. The question is just, like, do you impose a duty for them to do it by law? So instead of voluntarily doing that, you say you have to do these kinds of things. And if you don't, now you're liable. That's like 
that's the more like sophisticated approach to modifying 230. It's out there. Like when people talk about regulating Facebook, that in addition to the don't sell our data, be better about privacy kind of GDPR stuff, there's also the we know you're spreading hate messages. You can detect them. People can report them. Do you have a duty to stop it or we'll hold you liable for them? Like that's it's a much narrower cut at it. Just like, I don't know, um, it's illegal to show liquor ads during the day. And if you do it, you, should, you need to stop it. And if you don't, they'll fine you. Like it's the same kind of idea on TV. I mean, anything, if you, you, you could watch liquor ads yourself anytime you want. Yeah, and the, 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 it seems easier to, to make laws around like, specific transactions, but just covering what people are saying to each other and expecting a company to have a better definition of what is okay to say than, like you said, the American government's been around for a while building up this nice cocktail It took the founders like a long time to figure out. Ultra clear. They had a convention. They were all in Philadelphia. They argued about how the court should be structured. Like mm. that's what I mean. Like you pull the thread on some of these things. Facebook because Zuckerberg is saying about how Facebook will run, and it just falls apart into insanity. And the way he talks about it is like, you know, what a neat idea would be a Supreme Court for Facebook. And it's like, dude, you are one of the richest and most powerful people on the planet. Like maybe you should have more than like neat ideas, right? Like you should, you should be communicating effectively about how you might actually implement your world government idea. Let me ask a question about that. Facebook has been on an insane media blitz. They've thrown all of their executives out into the the slurry of Twitter. Uh, sometimes that goes well, sometimes not so well. Um, mm-hmm. Zuckerberg has uh, done, he did a bunch of interviews, did one with Recode, New York Times, and Wired. He did Ezra Klein's show. He just did this hour-long conference call with reporters. In fact, it was supposed to stop, and he said, no, 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 I want to take some more questions. They've, he's been just on this insane media He's going to testify in front of Congress now. He's going to testify in front of Congress. The thing is, the question, and like Neil and I talked about this a little bit earlier, when he says, what if there was a Supreme Court that was independent from Facebook but could arbitrate, blah, 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 blah. The, the question is, is, he, does, is that as far as the idea goes and that's all he's got and he's just being radically transparent? Or does he actually have a plan and he's not telling us? Or is yeah. it some third option? Like, I don't know. He's super naive. I don't know. Maybe that's the first option. My sense is that's all he's got. He doesn't actually know what the solution is. So if you're in his position, you know you need to fix it, but you don't actually have the fix. What do you do? And so I'm not defending any of these half-cocked ideas. Um, I'm certainly not defending you know, a lot of things about Facebook. But I guess if the alternative is he just continues to be a, a weird, emotionless robot who issues press releases and uh, clams up and barely says anything at all, um, I guess I'd rather him be out there saying, yeah, no, uh, we got to fix it. I don't know what to do. The thing he's not saying is, I don't know. Here's an idea. I haven't gotten anywhere with it. He's like proposing a bunch of interesting thought experiments for fixing Facebook. But like what he needs to do is finish that thought and say, we are way behind we have to deal with it. We don't know what to do. I just have a few ideas. We're going to work on it. Instead, he presents them without clarifying whether or not there's anything behind them. And the thing that I think just drives me insane is like, 
What was he thinking about before? He was thinking about how to shuck corn in Iowa. Did he just really wake up today? And- well, okay, yeah. so I, I think part of the problem here is that because there are multiple sides, people disagree. There's no generic citizen, right? Yeah. People disagree. And a big part of the disagreement is right now people disagree on what fixed looks like. So to get rid of the idea of we're going to figure out what the solution is, there's a huge disagreement, at least in America, of what the outcome should look like. So on a conservative side, you have a lot of people complaining about being censored on Facebook or censored on Twitter or censored on YouTube. And meanwhile, what I hear more from the left is we're being harassed. We uh, don't feel safe. You know, there is hate speech on mm-hmm. these platforms. And so that's what they want to get rid of. And so the, the the picture of what a fixed Facebook or any of these platforms looks like is different for the two different sides. And so I don't know if you have to come to an agreement. Is well, it a but Venn I think, diagram? I, so you're saying we haven't even defined people, the problems. But – Right, we haven't defined an ideal. Um, uh, we haven't defined a paradise. Sure, but some of the problems are like, well, no, like you know, what you shouldn't do. There shouldn't be like Russian bot farms seeding Facebook with misinformation during our election. It seems like just no one wants that. Hmm. There shouldn't be Cambridge Analytica hoovering up data outside of the terms of service and then using it for whatever they use it for. We, we know that shouldn't happen. But I feel like we've heard some proactive things from Facebook. on. He's not just riffing on those things. Yeah, and then the things that he are, is riffing about is what you are describing, which is I'm not going to make a decision about what is and is not allowed on Facebook. Mm-hmm. right? Because that walks me into you're censoring me or you're allowing hate speech. Right. We're going to let these communities decide. And that honestly is like – I get what he where he's coming from because that is how we literally define like speech laws in our country in a lot of ways. Like the best legal definition of pornography comes down to I know it when I see it in the community, mm-hmm. and like different communities can have different standards, and like mm-hmm. that's how that's literally how we do it. But he's not running a government, man. He's running a company, and like if he hadn't thought about the problems of running Facebook at this scale in the form of a government before. I think that's why I'm, I read these answers and they all just seem like neat ideas that he's having to have as he thinks through it out loud in public. But it's like, what what were you thinking about before? Mm. Like through all of 2017, when all this was happening, where is your like, you know, blue ribbon commission to figure out how a Facebook Supreme Court might work? Where was the big public thing about Democrat, like a good functioning democratic system for, for post removal? Like, that's what you should have been doing before. And I, the idea that this media blitz is going to rehabilitate him, uh, it might. You know, he's, he's doing the work. He's, he's out there. He's taking the questions. He's going in front of Congress. But the, the gulf in trust is because they didn't do the work before. Also, his ideas are insane. Have you guys seen the film starring Emma Watson called The Circle? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> no. It, it is suggested to me all the time by content suggestion algorithms. And I... It's a social network and they start a government. Basically, I read the book. The book is a, night, a fun little YA novel. Uh, the movie, I, I hate watched it. I'm like, I'm going to watch this. I know it's going to be bad, but I'm going to watch it. And you can't even hate watch it. You can't even like watch it knowing that you're watching a bad movie. It is horrific. I made it all the way through. All right, that's we an gotta, accomplishment. We got. Did you? Were you mobile? Did you accomplish this while mobile? <laughs> mobile. All right. Are you a mobile accomplisher? Oh gosh. All right. We're done. That was Vergecast 300. It highs, lows. There was a montage. There was some deep Facebook stuff. 
It's a classic so, Vergecast because Neil, I forgot to do the thing he was supposed to, which was promote my new YouTube show. Oh, Dieter, promote your new YouTube show. <laughs> <laughs> just, a, just a mess. I don't know why people have been listening to the show for as long as they've been listening to it. And, you know, people, more people keep listening to it. If you're new, mm. it's never been better than this. Maybe people have just been coming back hoping we would explain all of our jokes. And now, <laughs> now they're finally done. satisfied and they'll walk no, no. away. Dieter, promote your show. Uh, there's a new show on YouTube uh, called Processor. Uh, technically, it's called Processor with Dieter Bone, which I'm really happy about because before there was a title for it, I had this period where I didn't want to give it a title. Uh, and so everybody just started calling it The Dieter Show, which was very mm-hmm. awkward for me. I liked um, it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's gonna be a show where like we we try and do like little little video essays about tech topics. So the 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 one of the episodes we're working on right now is about the what's a what's a computer ad and why everybody got so mad about it. I don't want to give away all my ideas, um, but it'll be it'll be a little bit more YouTubey than what we usually do. Uh, so that means like it'll be I don't know a little bit a little bit rougher I hope. Um, but that should be a little bit more fun. And yeah, just uh, just a lot of I don't know deeper thoughts about tech than you usually get from like your standard hands-on. I'm, I'll talk about specs, but uh, that's like not the point. I'm that's excited. Big ideas. It'll be fun. In my privileged position, I've already seen some episodes. Whoa. They're very good. Let me wait, tell you. Wait, when's the first episode go up? Well, uh, in theory, the first episode is going to premiere on Wednesday, April 11th. It is possible that I might actually do something sooner because I am going to have. A piece of exclusive news at some point in the near future, and uh, when I'm able to publish it as an episode of Processor, I will. Little, little hint. What a tease. Little tease. Little Dieter tease. exclusive. We also have other shows. Why Just Push That Button Season 2 continues. This week, they did a whole thing on Finstagrams. You know what Finstagram is? Finstas, yes. Yeah. Finstas are, are- I have a Finsta. Our secondary <gasps> fake Instagram. What? Yeah. I really want to get a Finsta. I want to get a Finsta. I mean, it's easy to do. But they did a whole episode on what Finstagrams are, why people have them, with the very excellent Taylor Lorenz, who is one of the, I think, the sharpest sort of internet culture reporters out there. So listen to that. That's great. You can listen to Rico Deco, Kara Swisher. You can listen to Rico Media, Peter Kafka, both excellent shows. Casey Newton was supposed to be on this show today, help us talk about Facebook. He's not here because he was reporting an episode of his forthcoming podcast, Converge, Casey Newton. That's going to be a thing. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and you can just like go on the socials and find us. I'll believe it when I see it, Casey. I want it in my. You won't see it. You'll hear it. I want it in my <laughs> iTunes or sorry, Apple Podcast. It's called Apple Podcast now. Yeah, yell that. Anyway, yeah, rate, review, do all the good stuff. That was Vergecast three hundred. We've either done two hundred ninety eight or three hundred episodes of this show. <laughs> <laughs> thank Here, you, thank you. Here's to another three hundred. <laughs> here's to another <laughs> number in that area. But thank you, everybody, for listening for all this time. It's wild that we've been doing this show for this long. It's wild that The Verge exists. It's wild that we have an audience. We thank you for it. Rock and roll. Paul. Probably Probably using the internet. This episode of The Vergecast was brought to you by IBM. By the end of this podcast, nearly 10,000 new malware variants will have been launched, but now AI can help protect your data from threats wherever it lives with IBM security. Let's put smart to work. Learn more at ibm.com smart.